Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It is weekly here on Bob Long Sports. A reminder, we're on video on YouTube. Go to Bob Long Sports and subscribe to our page or on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Bob Long Sports there as well. The guys I do it with, Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, Kevin McLernan, K-Mac. He'll be here in just a short while to give us some big-time trivia questions. He's got four of them. Four of them scheduled for today, all surrounding the Big East Conference Tournament. Should be a lot of fun. But gentlemen, we come to you today in a situation where a seemingly cakewalk to the Big East title is no longer the case. A loss to Butler in a very embarrassing fashion, truly, puts Villanova at a little bit of a crossroads. They need to find a way down the stretch to win some basketball games, more importantly, to really prepare for the grind that will be March in the NCAA tournament. So guys, before we get into the opening tip, your first opening thoughts on where we stand. Butler, bad loss. Creighton, biggest game of the year on Wednesday evening at the Fennerin Pavilion. What say you, Kevin Long, Tom Trainer? So, yeah, I'm overall very concerned about the performance last week. Uh, I'm not necessarily concerned about whether we ultimately beat Creighton and, you know, win the big East regular season title Uh, at this point. I think that it's, it's more about getting ourselves tuned up in these last couple of games and throughout the big East tournament to be prepared for March. Um, And I'm just not sure that we're there right now. I'm a little bit concerned about where this team can go Uh, a little bit concerned about the depth and, and like we've seen, uh, the, the shooting can be streaky. Uh, I've been a little bit concerned with the way Colin Gillespie has, has shot the ball recently. Um, he had a, a couple of nice threes at the end of uh, the game the other week. I'm, I'm trying to remember which one exactly it was. I believe it was the UConn game. He put a couple in to, to put that game on ice. And But before that, you know, before and after that really has been quite a bit of a struggle. Um, Jermaine Samuels has obviously played well over the past couple of weeks and, and he went cold. Um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl does his thing down low, but he, uh, he couldn't find the three point shot nor, nor could anybody in that game going two for 27. So uh, I was a little bit concerned about that. Uh, overall though, I think to, you know, put that in the, the alternate context to lose that game, by 12 points shooting 12 of 27, you figure if they shoot even a decent mark, let's say 10 of 27, you know, you, you win that game pretty easily. So, you know, in that sense, if you put it together a little bit, you, you shoot the way that at least you, you know that you should, uh, you win that game pretty easily. So that's probably the silver lining there saying that, you know, maybe we're okay. And this was just a bad shooting night, but, uh, overall, it, it can't happen against a team like Butler, and, and that'll be a quick exit no matter who you play in the tournament. Yeah, Kev, maybe I'm, I, two of 27, right? I thought maybe you'd said 12, but yeah, two of 27 from yeah, – yeah, yeah, my fault. Yeah, yeah, not good. Not good at all. Tom? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say to answer your question, Bob, is it just shocking – um, deflating maybe I mean you know in our, in our group chat for the show you know what was it Wednesday Thursday night we were you know messaging saying hey going into the weekend uh, you know already three teams ranked ahead of Villanova have lost this week 
Villanova could be ranked in the top five come Monday. Um, you know, going, unfortunately, with the assumption that you were going to just take care of a Butler team that's having a down year, and they've already beaten once. Um, but, you know, they had a, a bad shooting day, which Kevin has already um, spoken about. But, uh, yeah, had they shot to their standards, probably would have won the game. But it was still another poor defensive effort. I mean, you let a bad Butler team relative this year um, score 10 points above their average, shoot from the three 10 percentage points above their average. Um, sure, they were playing at home. Sure, they were playing in front of fans and they were clearly feeding off the crowd. Um, but that does not explain giving up a team 10 points above their average and shooting a team that shoots 31% from three, shooting 41% from three against you. The Achilles heel of this basketball team is still their defense. They are sixth in the country in terms of offensive efficiency. They're still in the 70s and they've been hovering between you know the 80s and 60s all season when it comes to defense. Um, now, of course, that tells you they're not a bad defensive team in the grand scheme of college basketball, but they are not up to Villanova standards that we've seen, and they're not up to the standards that are required to achieve the goals that this team has probably set for themselves and that Villanova fans expect for themselves. So I am concerned uh, just because we're not seeing the progress you, we need to see on the defensive end for this team to make a run in the tournament. Good thoughts there. And so with that, we're going to, we'll still talk about the Butler loss for sure, but we'll move on and talk some Creighton because the Big East title is on the line and it's our feature subject in today's opening tip. It is the opening tip here on the Villanova basketball report. Bob Long, Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, K-Mac will be with us for our trivia segment coming up next. But guys, the first question here tonight is let's break down the game of the year in the Big East. Creighton took down Villanova shooting over 50%. 86 to 70 was the score of that game. In some ways, it wasn't even that close. A total demolition on the road in Omaha, Nebraska. So as we think about this game here, if Creighton wins it, all they are is a Butler win at home away from winning the regular season Big East title and breaking Villanova's streak there. What do we think? Who's going to win this basketball game? Why? And is there a larger issue here for Villanova? Well, I think if you, if you take a look at the first game, right, obviously Creighton played really well and, and kind of took it right to Villanova from the beginning. And uh, I think that that's a reason to be concerned here. But I ultimately think that we win this game. I think the combination of playing at home and now having that motivation of getting, you know, beat pretty well on the road in the previous matchup, I think Villanova is going to come ready to play. Uh, I think that Villanova is a little bit embarrassed coming off of this Butler loss. And, and you know that those guys are going to spend time in the gym shooting to to get their shot right after that that poor performance against Butler so I think that all those factors including the motivation playing at home lead up to Villanova ultimately winning this game and taking back the Big East regular season crown yeah I agree with Kevin I think that because it is at home um 
given the embarrassing loss and the embarrassing way in which they lost to Butler over the weekend, I do think this team will be hungry. Um, they seem to always shoot better in the pavilion. Um, so, so that helps, you know, Creighton has to travel from Omaha to Philly. That makes a difference. Um, but I mean, at the end of the end of the day, it's going to come down to adjustments from the first time they played Creighton. And, you know, Jay's teams are usually pretty good at making adjustments throughout the season. Um, and so it's going to be a question, can they guard the Marcus Zagorowski and Bishop's pick and roll? Can they guard the pick and roll? Um, that's the question. Because, uh, again, um, I think they're, they're going to shoot better than they did <laughs> this weekend. They have to. Um, for all of the reasons we just mentioned, it's going to come down to how much can they contain a Creighton team, which Bob, as you just mentioned, absolutely torched the Nets and obliterated them in Omaha. I like Creighton to win the game, and I think Creighton's going to win the Big East regular season title. I think they're your favorite to win the Big East tournament title as well. Sure, Villanova fans would love to think, and, and maybe this team will play better at home, but I don't think they can guard the pick and roll. And I do think that this Creighton team while they are far from the most consistent team in the country are one of the most, if not the most explosive team in the country, not named Gonzaga. And from an offensive perspective, this team provides matchup issues. They have six guys that can score in a variety of ways. And it all does start with that high pick and roll. Zagorowski, Bishop, Balak, a couple other wing guys that are phenomenal, right? Just being able to spread the floor and making a team that chooses to play man-to-man defense, make them work really hard. And if they're not tight in their sets, understanding in their switches or guarded down and really at home in what they're trying to do and working off that high ball screen, then you're going to just get decimated. And this team seems to step up in big games, lose some games that I don't really understand why, but they step up in big games. I think you will see more zone from Villanova. It didn't come out until that game was over garbage time Villanova Creighton. But I do wonder if Villanova flashes an early zone look at Creighton forces them off of their spot, runs them off the three point line a little bit and, um, and, and really tries to make life difficult in that regard. Wouldn't be surprised to see it, but frankly, I have the same answer that I had weeks ago, which is that Villanova is an overmatched basketball team compared to Creighton. I think Creighton, Creighton just has a better basketball team. It's not on Jay. It's not on the players. It just is. Um, things come in cycles. This is a top 10 team, I think, in the country. Top 15 team in the country, no question. Creighton, yeah, they lost the game they shouldn't have to Xavier. It doesn't really make much sense. But this is a team that when they're playing well, they're a really good basketball team. And I, I do shudder at the thought of uh, you know losing twice if you're Villanova. And I – think this is Creighton's year to win the Big East regular season title. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they come off of that Butler loss because, you know, obviously that was that was not their best effort and that that won't get it done against Creighton. But I also think that this Villanova team uh, really does have that gear in them as well. I mean, they've been consistently in the top 10 over the past two seasons, really, have and largely the same team from last year minus Sadiq Bay, which is obviously a huge loss. But uh, let's not <clears throat> not discredit this team and where they've been. Um, you know, I, I think that they certainly can stand up to this Creighton team. Although, as we've talked about in previous shows, 
they have uh, what it takes to, to po possibly go the distance in March. I'll say this. I'll ask the next question, and I'm going to lead this one off in a change of pace. Tom came up with this one, right? Is, is it the offense or the defense that we're more worried about? You talked about it in the opening part of the show as well, Tom. Yes, right? The def And I think the answer is both. Uh, if this is a team that's going to make a deep run Final Four, neither and neither facet of the game is good enough. But you guys are going to talk about defense. So I'm going to talk about the offense. And this is going to come across perhaps as a bit of a novice take in, in hoops. But I've long crafted this thought. And the more I see it, the more I like it. Yes, a team like Virginia came back from losing to the 16 seed to win the national championship. And yes, they, so a national championship does uh, absolve them of a lot of things. But that's a Virginia team that is year in the past few years Sagarin rankings would tell you they are one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country well why does the eye test not show you that right why, why do the statistics not match what I'm seeing why do I see that Virginia keeps teams in games and the reason I think is this yes uh points for possession that's huge right that's the basis of the efficiency measure but I've long contended that I would rather have a team that can score in bunches, a team that can score a lot of points in the game, a team that can create a lot of possessions than a team that is maybe slightly more efficient but has less possessions per game, lower scoring numbers in total. But again, maybe those statistics uh, give you a different number. And I'm an analytics guy. I, I, I absolutely believe in the concepts of analytics in all sports. Basketball is, is comes at a premium. However, I do think that the concept of another team getting hot, even if you yourself are playing good defense, when you limit the number of possessions in a basketball game, the chance of variation, the chance of a standard deviation, the chance of a result that doesn't fit the statistics becomes all the more exemplified. And I think this is something where this Nova team, while Again, they're gonna, you're going to want this team, if you're a fan, to be slightly better offensively. The offensive efficiency numbers aren't going to show the picture as to how I believe this team has played very poorly offensively. And so I wish that this team had a little bit more of the run and gun of some of the mid-2000s years. Uh, they have slowed it down each of the past, we'll say, three years, even the 18 team at times, but they could also ramp it up as good as anybody. Really, after those guys left, the offense took on a little bit of a different form. Yes, without the same personnel. So the defense is an issue, but you guys are going to talk about defense, I'm sure. I'm here to talk about offense. I think that these efficiency numbers can lie a little bit sometimes. Well, I, I think that I'm – it's all about personnel. You, you just mentioned it. This team doesn't have the talent, the athleticism to run the court. I, I'd argue that that 18 team was the best and the most explosive team Jay has ever had. They ran the best out of any team Jay has ever had. I'd argue the 2016 team probably ran the half-court offense better than any team Jay has ever had. You know, they didn't run up and down the court because they didn't have the pieces that the 2018 team did. But, I mean, Archie ran that half-court offense. The other guys bought in. Um, I mean, who would have ever thought that Chris Jenkins would be able to pass the ball the way he did? Daniel Chef, who's out of the post. to pass the ball. They're, they're, 
I don't think I've ever seen a player move as well as Josh Hart without the basketball. Um, I mean, it's just it, 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 those teams were very, very different offensive teams, but um, excelled in their own ways. And so this team's problem is, I hear you, Bob. I, I, yes, they have been too stagnant and they have been uh, maybe the training wheels are on a bit too much. Don't know what it is. They're not running. Uh, you know, you mentioned you'd like a little bit more running gun was, I believe the word you mentioned. Create um, more sure. offensive possessions. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, I don't know. I think they're more athletic than, you know, what they're holding themselves back to. Um, but also at, at the same time, <laughs> this team is not very adept at running the half court offense. Um, I, I don't, I don't see any flow. I mean, I see a lot of one-on-one, a lot of your favorite Bermuda triangle. Um, I mean, there's, there's very little movement without the basketball. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's stagnant is the word. Um, so yeah, there is something to, to what you're saying, Bob, but, uh, but uh, I, I still think defense more so than offense, but, but you do have a point. Yes. And before we get to Kevin here, so yes, Bermuda triangle, that's when we always say triangular, just, just a level set, everybody. Basically what that means is ball comes in, doesn't come out the Bermuda triangle and uh, head engineer is, is Justin Moore right now, but go ahead there, Kev. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Head engineer is Justin Moore. And I wanted to piggyback off of Tom's comment. There, there really is a lot of one-on-one play and it's not just Justin Moore at this point. There are certainly times when he paints himself into a corner or there's five seconds left on the shot clock and he's still the only one who has touched the ball. But seeing a lot of that from Colin Gillespie right now too. And part of it is a product of him not shooting the ball up to his standards, but he's, he feels like he's the leader on this team and no matter what he needs to be the guy that can get him back. So you see, a lot of that Jalen Brunson and Ryan Archie Diacono backing down a bigger guy. And, you know, to his credit, he's very good at doing it. He's, he's very, you know, skilled at, at the post play, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not a great half court offense to rely on that. And it's something that teams can easily figure out. It's a matter of staying on your feet. If you're the guy guarding him, because he's just trying to get you in the air and then he's going to try to go by you. So, Offense has certainly been part of the issue, right? And Justin Moore has not shot the ball the way that he wants to either. Um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Jermaine Samuels have really kept this team going offensively. But you look at their scores over their past four games, right? They scored 70 on the road at Creighton, 68 in a win over Connecticut, uh, you know, 81 versus St. John's, which was good. Uh, although St. John's didn't play all that well in that game and then 61 and a loss to Butler. So, so that does tell you that there are some concerns about the way that they're generating offense. But at the end of the day, I, I would have to agree with Tom that the defense is the bigger issue here. And, and part of it is, you know, one of your biggest offensive weapons in Cole Swider can't get on the floor because of his defense. So, so really that comes back to a defensive issue. I mean, if you, if you take him out of the equation from the Butler game, right, he was one of one from three. So the rest of the team was one of 26 if you take out Cole Swider. So, yeah. uh, you know, just gives you even more context there in, into the problem. So 
it really all starts with defense. And I also think that it comes down to not having that big man that can guard another big. I just don't well, think that Jeremiah Robinson Earl is necessarily up to that task. Although he is a great defender, I, I don't think he can take on the likes of a, a Luca Garza, nor can many, but I, I think that we'll be in big trouble if we run into a good big in the tournament. Yeah, and, and just real quick, Bob, I, I'm sure we want to touch on McDermott, but um, Kev mentioned uh, the guards backing down, getting into the paint um, as sort of not a, not a crush, but maybe a strategy that they turn to this year or something you see a lot of. And what's interesting is that's something that seemed to be working on Saturday. That's something or, or, or Sunday. Um, tried to read the game from my memory, but uh, but it's something that seemed to be working, right? And I mean, we talked about Jay's teams making adjustments over the course of a season, but this weekend, I, I and Bob, I know during the game at one point, you know, we were texting back and forth, and you said Jay had gotten out coached during a critical stretch. I mean, I think during the course of the game uh, over this weekend, there were adjustments that needed to be made that weren't me. I, I know that the philosophy offensively has been and always will be, you know, if you're open, shoot, catch to shoot. Um, but like when you're, when, when, you know, most of the team is one of 15 from three, probably at some point well into the second half. And we can all see, you don't need to know the stats. We can all see the shots aren't falling. Um, but it seemed to me, that, I mean, they were, they, we had the bigger guards, um, who could get into the paint. There were, our comeback was chipping away. Two points in the paint. Two points in the paint. Two points in the paint. Yeah. Bully ball. J-R, you know, JRE bully ball. Um, that, that's how we got back in the game. And then for some reason, we just keep shooting the three ball. When you're shooting that poorly, why are you shooting 27 sure. shots? Yeah, I, I think you need better off-ball movement, even when you are getting to the paint. Uh, it's just kind of space out and, and let them go to the basket. And because you are a little bit more one-dimensional, if you're a Villanova basketball player, you're meeting more guys at the rim. So, yes, they got to the rim. They got a lot of points in the paint, but they also missed a lot of layups. Why did they miss layups? Well, because they're contested. Because they're not beating their guys square off the dribble. They're not getting to the bucket uncontested. It's kind of one-on-one, and and you kind of got to muscle over somebody, and you're not going to make every one of those layups. And, oh, by the way, if everybody's spaced out and Justin Moore's the only guy in the lane, you're probably not getting the offensive rebound either. And so I, I have significant issues with how the offense is running right now. And real quick to your point about Jay getting out coached specifically, you're talking about Swider, right? He had a very poor defensive stretch midway through the second half, very poor as did the other four guys on the floor, but the first two or so possessions of a five or six possession stretch were him. And Caleb Daniels was sitting at the scorers table. They were trying to get to the under 12 timeout. They don't have had three timeouts left. And that thing went four possessions too long. They didn't get a bucket on the offensive end on any of those possessions. Butler scored, I think, on every possession. And it turned what had gotten into a, uh, at that point, a six-point basketball game. Turned into 15. And Jay ended up having to clock it anyway, waste the timeout, and be down 15 points. He got completely outcoached. You know, I I know what he was trying to do. But he had the firepower, he had the artillery in his back pocket to call the time out there, get Daniels on the floor, get the offense reset, and sit the team down for a minute 
and talk things over. Again, listen, he's a two-time national champion head coach, best coach in Villanova basketball history. You have to caveat all that. But in that specific instance, I think he got he got lulled to sleep thinking that he could get to that under 12. And part of that is unlucky situational basketball. And part of that is him not being able to pull the trigger. That was an issue. The only other thing I'd say is, because I know we had some good feedback last week to Slater versus Swider and Swider hit a three. That was a big shot struggled defensively. Unfortunately, so did Slater. And so the question is like, is either Slater or Swider, uh, somebody that you can trust on the defensive side of the basketball Slater more so right Slater more in open space, but still from an assignment defense, man-to-man perspective, uh, actually specifically when it involves any type of switch, I don't trust Slater either. Uh, I, I don't trust Swider, but those five guys on the floor, they're going to lean on those five heavily. It's going forward because I don't see a, a true replacement that's going to go in and give you uh, sixth man minutes and, and not see a drop off on one or both ends. I completely agree. I, I see him riding those five guys uh, all the way through the end of the, uh, the rest of this year. I, I see, just like you said, a huge drop off, whether you go to Slater or Swider, um, you know, like we talked about last week, you can make the argument either way. I, I think, I, I think Slater's a little more defensively inclined and, Swider on the offensive end. So uh, either way, though, there's a huge drop off when you go from that fifth man. Let's let's call it Caleb Daniels at this point to Cole Swider or Brandon Slater. So uh, I I agree. I expect Jay to run with those five guys. All right, boys. Uh, two topics to go here. We're going to flip them in order because Tom mentioned the one. So big story coming out of Creighton, and it was after the February 27th loss. Coach McDermott caught uh, where there was video audio, but after the game, you know, caught making a, uh, a racial uh, a remark with racial undertones specifically says after a loss, guys, we got to stick together. We need both feet in. I need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation. Naturally that generated a lot of scrutiny uh, and rightly so. He put out a statement saying it was a poor choice of words and, and basically that he's spoken with leadership at the school to f- try to find a way to improve from this, move forward from this. Guys, tough situation. Of course, you know, the sidebar is the fact that Villanova plays Creighton in the biggest game of the season tomorrow night, but a larger issue at hand here. Your thoughts. Uh, I'll, I'll lead this one off. I, I think there's no room for that in this game. And, and that's, that's an obvious thought. And, and now it's, what do you do next as Creighton? You're in this really tough situation here. You know, if you want to think about this from a basketball perspective, which it's really not at the end of the day, but you have a, a really good team here on the cusp of maybe a big run. And it, you know, the situation is now, what do you do? Um, you know, and like we've seen, they may not have some of the support of their alumni. Uh, I think that's really going to hurt him. And, and I think ultimately he's going to lose his job over this. And I think Creighton should do it now, to be honest with you. I don't think that 
this will look good on Creighton's part if they do it after the year. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. you make a comment like that and you can still finish out the year because you have a good team and you might make a run. I just think that it'll be a really bad look for Creighton. Uh, I think, unfortunately, it was a you know poor comment uh, on coach's behalf, and, and I think that I think the Creighton's got to cut ties right now. Yeah, I think it's in the in the one sense you, you read the comment and you're thinking how could it just seems so silly, you know? What I mean, you have to do you have to do some mental work to get to that analogy, like of all analogies to pick. And I think it says I think it says it really does say so much about like as well intentioned as McDermott might have been he seems like a nice guy I'm sure he's a you know but you know a nice guy but like it just it speaks to a greater issue you know Pat Chambers had the issue at Penn State and and you know when that story came out about you know the noose around your neck um comments that he had made it's uh, there were stories written about the white savior complex issue with um college basketball and college athletics in general. And I mean, and this also gets me thinking back to one of the greatest South Park episodes of all time, um, which come literally compare college athletes to slaves um, and was a very, very poignant criticism of college athletics. You know, I mean, in a very hilarious way as South Park does, but, you know, Cartman go into um, Colorado, you know, Boulder and uh, talking to the athletic director, like, trying to they keep slipping up and calling the players slaves um and it was a very very damning south park episode that spoke to a problem that i think is and that was it was also i mean part of what the it was getting to was payer play you know and payer stipends um and player rights um was what that episode was getting to but there's also certainly undoubtedly a racial component um and so i just think unfortunately these comments as well-intentioned as Coach McDermott may have been, do speak to a much larger problem and a, this, uh, this psyche and this, this dynamic of these, you know, white, middle-aged, you know, middle class, upper class, wherever they came from background, not the same background as many of the athletes they coach um, and how they perceive, whether they consciously realize it or not, how they perceive their athletes and their relationship and the dynamics between them and their athletes. I, I think it does say a lot. I think Kevin's right. There are going to have to be consequences and they need to be done sooner rather than later. Maurice Watson Jr. Mo Watson, as you may know him better, one of the really great guards in recent Creighton history was actually called out on Twitter, not called out, but uh, Daniel Ochefu, our buddy from Villanova says, Hey, and Mo, you know, was coach talking crazy to y'all like that? Question mark. And Mo says, hell nah. I never would have let anything like that slide. And I'm having a hard time right now. So when these things come up, um, I like to let the folks that have the better perspective on something like this than me, I let them react, right? Like what, what am I going to say right now? And so Mo Watson a wonderful player, by all accounts, a, a great human being, a Philly guy. We all like Mo. 
when he says that that's not acceptable, then then okay, then that then that's not acceptable. And I don't know what happens next. I I wouldn't want to be part of the the Creighton administration. It, it's a difficult decision because they absolutely have every right to cut ties right away, send a message that way if they choose. They also they also could allow Greg to learn from this in some way that they feel is appropriate and allow him to keep his job. I don't know the right decision. I can tell you that uh, it didn't sound right. Um, you could row the boat in the same direction, right? We can't be rowing against one another. There, <laughs> there's just one of a hundred ways you could have said it. Um, you know, obviously not the right thing to say, and I don't know anything about his character, so I, I'm not going there. Um, you know, at the very best, a poor choice of words. And, and there are right or wrong, uh, right, but there are consequences for saying things in today's day and age, especially when you are a steward of young men. So whatever comes from this comes from this. A man like Mo that I respect, that's what he thinks. So I, I listen to that with great respect. So let's lighten up the subject for our last question of the night. Tom, you launched a firestorm on Sunday. We all had a good time after Villanova's loss. And frankly, half an hour after the game, I kind of forgot that they had lost because we got into a heated discussion following that game, Butler allowing limited fans into Hinkle Fieldhouse. So I'll let you explain your point first and we'll go from there. Well, I'll say, I mean, I'm really curious to hear what uh, Kevin Long has to say because he was, you know, silent during this, uh, this entire exchange between you, myself, and K-Mac. So curious to see what Kevin has to say. Um, the long story short, um, I was sitting there and I was, I was actually watching the game with my dad and um, he was the one who made the point. You know, it was, it was at a time where Butler had made a few threes and had a couple uh, and, uh, and a big defensive stop. Maybe we had turned over the ball and the crowd was going wild. Um, and, and making for a lot of noise for the small number that they had there. They actually, they seem to have quite a few people there from, from what you could tell from various camera angles they were showing. Um, and, you know, it was actually my dad who asked the question, you know, is, is it fair that some Big East schools get to have fans and others don't? Um, and so I presented this question to the, uh, to the Nova basketball report group chat. Um, and I think, I think, we we landed well, well quickly bob you put to bed and you can correct me if i'm wrong um and i think rightly so that this is that was out of the big east jurisdiction so i mean the, the we can still have an argument i don't think the point's mute but nothing was go is going to change or should change because the big east is not going to unilaterally go against state regulations and guidelines and is also not going to tell one of their member institutions that they can't bring in reps. That's, That's exactly, that was, yeah, those were the two points that I reiterated there. And those were my thoughts, right? I mean, we all got the email from Mark Jackson saying, Hey, we really need you guys. Villanova season ticket holders need you guys to consider donating your season tickets because we're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars this year. Right. Like, and mm -hmm. that's a reality forever for not every, but certainly most major collegiate sporting programs. So yes, yeah. that, Sure. The the presidents uh, of the member institutions 
exert a lot of influence of who's sitting in the seats at the Big East office. Val, Vince, they all do a great job. And um, yeah, and those folks are not going to deny that revenue opportunity. So yes, that was the first part of the discussion. Yeah, so, so we acknowledge, you know, okay, well, the Big East can't and probably shouldn't do anything about it. Um, but then the point still stood of fairness, unfair advantage for teams who do have fans versus teams who can't have fans. Um, and then we got an inch of, as you said, a heated conversation. Um, but I think the, the heart of it, Bob, really was how much or, you know, how immaterial or not or significant or not the impact of the fans of the teams who do have fans, how, what their impact is on the basketball game. And so I was arguing that, um, I mean, we all, we all played, you know, high school sports and collegiate sports. Um, you, I mean, as athletes, as competitors, you can't tell me that you feed off of the crowd. Right. Um, you know, Kevin Long, you pitching baseball state championship game. You can't tell me you feed off of LaSalle fans who are there. Right. As, as you're going for your complete game to win the, win the championship. Right. You know, I, I feed off of, um, you know, as, as a runner, I fed off of, uh, you know, fans who were there, or just the crowd, the energy in the crowd in general at a big race. Um, and, and so when you have fans rooting for you and cheering you on, um, that, that gives you so much confidence. Um, and confidence is a big deal. Um, I mean, first of all, fans and the fan aspect of college basketball is one of the biggest reasons people love the sports so much is because of the student sections, because of how loud it gets and how passionate it is um, versus NBA games, which far too often can be pretty sleepy affairs until the playoffs. Um, and so my argument was that Butler closing that game out and really during the entire game, they're getting confidence. From the crowd on defense, they're getting confidence to shoot with confidence, um, to play freely, but because they're feeding off the energy of the crowd. And I think Creighton, same way in Omaha. Uh, I think another point, you know, that we, we kind of didn't say is I think we all agreed, you know, Villanova didn't lose that basketball game because of the Butler fans. That's although, although we may have had the conversation because they lost the game. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so the, the comments are made, obviously, from the perspective of a Villanova, disgruntled Villanova fan who's watching his team, you know, lose to Butler, you know, we can't hit a shot, Butler can, is, can't miss a shot, their fans are going crazy, and Hinkle sounded pretty darn loud, you know, you don't know how much noise they're pumping in on the broadcast with fans there or not, um, but, um, but, and so the point stands, I mean, you, and so I was coming from the point of, you can't tell me that those Butler players are not feeding off of that crowd and that that game dynamic is not totally different if there's nobody in Hinkle. And so then the question became, is, you know, okay, how significant is that difference? So I, I think I agree that there is absolutely a difference uh, having even 25% of your fans there. And, and Tom, I watched this game an hour late. I was trying to catch up. I was like halfway through the second half and my phone is blowing up and I figured the end result cannot be good if there's this many texts going back and forth. So that's my explanation. <laughs> 
but uh there is absolutely an advantage to having fans uh, in the stands it certainly helps but i don't think that it's a good look on the big east part to sanction teams who can have fans by their state regulations and say well you know pa is not allowing fans so we can't allow anyone uh, across the board i think that it it disgruntles a team like creighton a team like butler um you know not saying that they're going to leave the conference over it but uh they're not happy about it one right they're not getting their fans in there and they're not bringing in their revenue and two and in these times which everyone is seeking some sort of normalcy if you can give a couple thousand people access to a college basketball game like they've gone to for years then you know, to make those people happy and to make their lives feel a little bit more normal. I, I think that trumps the potential fairness uh, argument there. And then, you know, third, all these kids are getting another shot at it. Now, whether they want to, you know, go play professionally either overseas or if they're good enough in the NBA, you know, just start to make some money. They've, they've graduated. They, they don't need to use their last year, but, you know, essentially the NCAA is saying, we know this is not a normal NCAA season. We know that this isn't going to be your typical experience. And so even though we have gotten through this entire season, we're going to allow you to have another year of eligibility so you can come back and, and do it the right way. And, and that doesn't work out for everybody. And there are some schools that are, you know, still going to push some seniors out the door. And, you know, that, that really is a shame. But I think because of those arguments, laid out i am okay overall with allowing anybody who is allowed to buy, you know per their state have fans i am good with the big east letting them have fans yeah and i th i think i i agree i think we all agree that to a certain extent uh, i mean <laughs> this conversation i mean i don't want to say it's pointless but i mean the the big east we all agree that those teams should be allowed to have fans I think you can. That still is the question of just because they're allowed, they're allowed. Does that make it fair? I mean, what's fair though? Would 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 well? So it, it's different, right? So K Mac, I mean, he's not here to defend himself, but I think I'm quoting him correctly. To as a counterpoint, he brought up, um, you know, Duke having more fans than NC State, just in, in, in a normal basketball season. You know, would you say that's unfair that Duke has the Cameron crazies and NC State doesn't? And, well, no, that's totally different because Duke has built up that fan base over years of success and that tradition and that culture. That's totally different. This is a decision. This group can have fans. They, this group of teams can't. Like, yeah, totally different scenario. I'll say this. I acknowledge that there is a difference in the two things you just said. I don't really care about that difference, I guess. That's where I fall on that. Like, there is a difference, yes, like allowed versus not allowed. I don't know that it matters to me. That's just okay. a personal thing. I, well, right? I mean, I, th I think Kevin Long brought up a great point, I mean, which kind of speaks to the point of, like, the Big East is not going to make a decision, like, never going to tell fans that they can't have fans that they're legally allowed. Um, but um, but great point just about, like, you know, in this year of everything we've gone through, the for people to be able to go to a basketball game, for players to be able to play in front of fans, 
yep. um, is just a blessing right now. Absolutely. You just try to give Absolutely. kids the best experience. I, I'm, see where all the chips I'm saying fall. is, I think it is, I mean, right or wrong, I think it's different from fair and unfair. I think Creighton playing Villanova at home in front of fans in Omaha gives them an unfair advantage when Villanova will not have fans in the pavilion playing Creighton tomorrow night. Yeah. Unfair advantage for Creighton. May, I mean, maybe marginally so. You know, one comment on that, and then I have a thought on on that true advantage. But at the end of the day, you got to win six neutral site games to win a national championship. 68 teams get in the tournament. If you're on the bubble and the difference between getting in the tournament or not was Butler beating you on the road when they were allowed to have fans – then I don't know what to do. I can't help you. Right. But you know, Villanova, whether they're a two seed, a three seed or a four seed, they can go win six neutral side games, win a national championship. And that's that. And so I guess that not to trivialize it, but that's where I am on it is, is there something there potentially to a very small extent, but not enough that I would concern myself with if I, again, beyond the conference, even just in, in discussion. Secondarily, I looked into it a little bit as well. And there are studies out there about in college basketball and the NBA. I stuck to basketball in general. You know, what are the factors that really determine home court advantage? And truly, uh, shooting percentage, both from a foul shot standpoint, turnover, some of those tangible numbers that we can talk about were not statistically significant differentials from home to road, which is what we're really talking about here. We're not going to have the data about, you know, COVID home versus COVID road versus this team can have 25% on the road, but just home road in a normal environment. The two factors that actually made the largest difference in outcomes of games is officiating one pressure. succumbing to pressure of the vociferous crowds that are opposing their calls and actually travel. So leaving home, perhaps taking classes with you on the road, taking a a test with a proctor on the road or having to push that back and study either on the plane right back or there or whatever that means, not sleeping in your own bed. Uh, Actually the travel end uh, was another key factor. The travel obviously is exactly the same now. Uh, Actually, you're probably staying there less time less time in the hotel if they measured they measured that in terms of like distance traveled or time away distance traveled yep yep and there was actually some subjectivity there as well right the players themselves um you know discussing some of that and what impact that how did they measure the uh the officiating yeah it it was essentially fouls called per half or or game and they had independent they also had fouls tend to favor the home team that is correct. And they also had independent evaluators come in there and evaluate a random sample and basically said that officials made more mistakes in favor of the home team. So those are just several things that I'll, that I'll throw out there. Um, so if there is a road disadvantage, I, I think that the fans being there versus not, though we may have felt something on Sunday watching the game and felt momentum through the television and not that it doesn't exist because it can uh, I don't know that it's the primary issue at least not not from my chair 
Sure. I mean, so just two final things I'll say, you know, one is, and just the experience that I had, and I mean, in terms of being able to feel things rather than have statistical data is, you know, Butler jacked up, you know, three or four threes in the closing, you know, 10 minutes of the game that I don't know that they're taking those threes in a silent closed gymnasium. Yeah, I'll quickly respond to that. So the Villanova played a, the first game of the Big East schedule was against Georgetown, and it was at McDonough Hall, and Georgetown shot the lights out. They shot mm-hmm. 60% at home, and that place would have been absolutely buzzing, mm-hmm. especially if they played it at McDonough Hall. The Verizon Center sucks, Capital One Arena, whatever. I just wonder if we were if we were watching that game and everything was exactly the same and Georgetown was the only team that was allowed to have fans. Would we have said about that first half, you know, they were just building momentum from the crowd. It wasn't fair that Georgetown could have a full house and and nobody else could, right? Like who's to say that Butler wouldn't have shot that well without the fans, just the way Georgetown shot super well without. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying shooting that well. I'm saying the decision-making again, the key word I used before was confidence. So like stepping into a shot in your transition offense, you know, 25 feet from the basket that you might not otherwise think of taking. Yeah. And now we're dealing in really, really subjective and impossible to know delineations. That's how I feel. Sure. Sure. I, I was just, I was, you know, speaking to, uh, I mean, all of us, our competitors, we've all played sports, you know, at a relatively high level. Um, and just, you know, thinking about that and how, you know, us personally are influenced by the crowd. Um, I, I think it makes, I think it makes a big difference. Um, the final thing um, that, that I will say is, you know, it was just an, was just an interesting question because hopefully we will never have this disparity again. Right. So the only time to bring up this question, but I thought it was worthwhile and uh, I thought it was a good conversation. I agree. It was fun. Enjoyed it. All right, guys. Well, let's move on. We're going to bring Kevin McLernan on. He's anxiously waiting in the waiting room. We just figure, you know, because he's been out so many weeks, we're just going to let him let him stew a little bit back there. But he's getting his questions ready. Big time. Nova Trivia coming up next. Trivia time. Uh, so Villanova's playing Creighton and Providence this week. Uh, in 2014, those two teams faced off in the Big East Championship game. Who was named the tournament MVP of that tournament? 2014 Big East Tournament. Correct. Creighton versus Providence in that final game. Who was the MVP of the tournament? I'm honestly struggling. I have a guy that was definitely there after and a guy who was definitely there before. Well, yeah, then that doesn't give me an on <laughs> Yeah, I think I have, I think the guy I'm thinking of actually is the guy is after. All right, show your answers. Bob has Doug McDermott. Kevin has Doug McDermott. And Tom has Bryce Cotton from Providence, the correct answer. Bryce Cotton. Wow. Nicely done. That's impressive. Providence uh, won that game. Yeah. Um, and Bryce Cotton, MVP of the tournament. Uh, so we're going to stick with MVPs of the Big East tournament. 
Uh, since 2015, five players have been named tournament MVP. Four, which have been Villanova, Josh Hart twice, Mikhail Bridges, and Phil Booth. Who is that fifth player, the non-Villanova MVP since 2015 of the Big East tournament? I made sure I asked this one after the other one, just in case somebody's guess was Bryce Cotton for this, and they gave away the other <laughs> one. I really hope I'm thinking of the right guy. I used to mix these guys up. All right, All right we'll, let's do it. We'll show answers. Kevin has Miles Powell. Tom has Isaiah Whitehead, and Bob has Isaiah Whitehead. The correct answer, Isaiah Whitehead. Oh. Game right. winner, oh. buzzer beater. Tom, right. we watched that game together. That's right. Correct school by Kevin, just the wrong play. So All right. Yeah, Miles uh, so Powell could not hit the buzzer beater. That's right. So for today, we have Tom at two and Kevin and Bob at one. Right? There's no I'm Kevin. Nothing. Yeah, Kevin put McBuckets, et cetera. Or Bob and McBuckets. But. All right. Um, so we're going to stick with the Big East tournament. The 2020 tournament was canceled at halftime of what game? Who were the two teams that were playing? I got you. I hope so. It's not that like complex of a question. I got your answer, too. Uh, uh, confidence. Yeah, I'm pretty confident as well. I'm confident in one of the two teams. So you guys all are all good to go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Show your answers. Kevin has Creighton St. John's. So does Tom. So does Bob. All around. Correct. It was the first quarterfinal of the yes, number one was. Creighton versus number nine St. John's. Bonus points. Who is winning the game? Bob, you, this is my trip. You get to give away bonus <laughs> points. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I believe St. John's was up about 10 yeah. points in that game. Creighton was playing like they absolute were. garbage. Yep. And nope. what are you shaking and your head at? No. Uh, I, I didn't write it down, but I thought I, I saw 38-33. Okay. Um, Maybe they cut it late, but it was one of those things where you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is a big deal that Creighton is not playing well. <laughs> and then it turned out to not really be a big deal at all. <laughs> yeah. Little did they know they would be coming out of the locker rooms. All right, uh, final question. Uh, since 1983, the Big East tournament has been held at Madison Square Garden. But where was it held? It, it was three different places in 1980, 1981, and 1982. Mm-hmm. What name those? The Big East. Yeah, you, so you can name the city or if you know the arena um, where it was held. And three different places each year. It rotated. Three different places. You don't have to match the year up with the, the place. Just just name the three places. Okay. I think I'm ready as well. All right. For this one, we'll do we'll we'll do one at a time. So like Kevin will go first, then Tom, then Bob. Like show your answer and read them. So uh, Kevin, what do you got? So I got I got Philadelphia, Washington DC, and Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, Tom. I got. Uh, can you see that? I got Syracuse, Boston, and Providence. Okay, and Bob. 
New York City, Washington, D.C., Karnasek, and McDonough were just the guesses, but we're going with the city here. And then Providence, Providence, where the Big East offices were for a long time. Okay, so the answers were Providence Civic Center in 1980, the Carrier Dome in 1981, mm. and Hartford in 1982. Ooh. So, mm. yeah, Kevin, Kevin's not what a random guess. <laughs> <laughs> man, the, the insurance was, capital of the world. It was between Hartford and Boston, man. Oh. Yeah. Yep, Kevin snuck in a point this one there. <laughs> I thought I was like Philly and DC, they're solid guesses, but Hartford, that's terrible. So I was pr- pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So there's yeah, some good questions there, K Mac. So, I'm, yeah, I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised. I know that Syracuse is an original member, but I'm a little surprised they took everybody from the East Coast up there. Probably because it could hold it. Yep. So and, Tom with four, yeah. Bob with three, and Kevin with two. Perfect. Yep, and that's all I got for you guys this week. And you're making hey, Matt, you just, as quickly as you made your entrance midway through the show here, you're going to make your exit as well. But yep. as long as you return every week with good trivia questions, <laughs> it's slightly less than we can ask of you. But <laughs> Anytime, anytime. All right, be well, my friend. Talk to you soon. Yep, thanks, guys. See you. Thanks to Kevin McLernan there. Next up on the Villanova Basketball Report is The Cat in the Wild with Kevin Long. All right, Bob, thank you. Uh, This week, our Cat in the Wild is Dante DiVincenzo, a guy who uh, we haven't heard a whole lot from since he made a big leap to the NBA Obviously, he had his big run in the Final Four in 2018 and really propelled himself into a first-round draft pick. Um, and he's, he's starting to get more and more minutes in the NBA with the Bucs, a, a very good team. Uh, just last week, he put up 24 points on, on 9 of 16 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3, also had 7 rebounds to go with it, and 9 assists. So he was creeping up there on a, on a triple-double starting to see some more and more time on a team that is you know, absolutely an NBA title contender. I wish we had Kevin McLernan sticking around to talk more about that. But uh, Dante DiVincenzo is your cat in the wild this week. And uh, really happy to see him doing some big things in the NBA. The other reason I wish Kevin McLernan was here, K-Mac, was uh, he sat there in that building with us, Kevin Long. I mean, we... We watched that game together and watched him take seemingly just wild shot after wild shot, all of which found the bottom. And that was a great experience there. Certainly the apex of his Villanova basketball career, but glad to see that he's been able to find success. You know, one of those guys that you're right in in that type of situation, if he can contribute on a championship team, he's going to carve out a great NBA career for himself. Yeah, what, what a run that was that year in 2018. I mean, especially that championship game you mentioned. It was one of those games where it's like you cringe every time he shot the ball because it was ridiculous shots, but it just went in every single time, and you couldn't believe it. Uh, just one of the more non-human basketball performances that I've ever seen in my life. Um, and, yeah, he was you know, very deserving to move up to that first-round pick like he did. Yeah, and that butterfly effect, right? If he doesn't go off for 31 in that game, maybe he doesn't 
come out in the NBA draft. He doesn't end up on a team like the Bucks. Maybe he does improve his stock and goes higher the next year and isn't competing for a championship right now. I don't know if that's better, worse, or indifferent. It's just a game like that can really change the trajectory of your career and in this particular case, his life as a whole. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. He, uh, he found a great situation for himself with a, a lot of great players around him in Milwaukee and uh, glad to see that he's, he's putting it together. And it's, it's super interesting that, you know, offense and uh, one of the greatest offensive performances in NCAA tournament history is what propelled him to that NBA draft. Um, yet what is keeping him in the starting lineup consistently for one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference is his defense, uh, which is something that, you know, Jay Wright joked about, you know, he couldn't have paid Dante DiVincenzo to play defense when he first got to campus. Um, yet here he is. I mean, that, that just goes to show, you know, the power of, you know, the culture that they have going on um, and the values that they're teaching, you know, defense first. Um, basketball program and I mean you have guys like Dante DiVincenzo like Josh Hart like Mikel Bridges um, who are you know consistent starters if not starters sixth man off the bench for um, NBA teams because of their defense good stuff there Kevin Long anything more on Dante DiVincenzo before we move on other than his phenomenal nicknames, including the Michael Jordan of Delaware and the Big Ragu, that's about all she wrote on Dante DiVincenzo. Shout out to Gus on that latter one. That is unbelievable. He's the best, man. He is, he is the best announcer in college basketball. He's taken that passion when he was calling, you know, Gonzaga, UCLA, and some of those crazy, crazy games in the past and in the early 2000 CBS coverage of the NCAA tournament, he's taken that passion and I think become even a more fundamentally sound play-by-play guy. He's as good as it gets and came up with that phenomenal nickname. GQJ is another one that he loves. He's, he's got a soft spot in his heart for the Nova guys. They like to make fun of Jay this year. He's not GQ in his sweatpants anymore, but they still think it's, you know, quote unquote crisp crisp sweatpants <laughs> brilliant tom anything from you uh no i just can vividly remember um raf saying that uh divincenzo shot one of those threes from wilmington in yep. the national championship game speaking of another great commentator color man that uh loves him some villain of wildcats yes he does and you know what a lot of times he's calling the game with Gus as well. And they do such a great job. I would love to, to go out for a night when the pandemic is over, of course, with Raft, because all you hear about is how this guy in his seventies can drink anybody under the table and keep you out until three o'clock in the morning. And Raft just keeps it going. He's, he's a phenomenal broadcaster, national treasure, and, and a really good ambassador for college basketball and the big East. Good stuff. Kevin, thank you so much. Cat in the Wild, great segment. And now finally, our last segment of the evening, Tom Trainer's Shoot Around. All right. Thank you, Bob. Welcome to the Shoot Around. It's time for us to shoot out or rather shout out anything and everything involving Villanova basketball or not or not even basketball at all. 
Um, and so this week I will start us off as I usually do. Um, and I will shout out college basketball as a whole for getting to this point. We are two weeks from the NCAA tournament, and it looks like it's going to happen. I mean, vaccinations are starting to roll out uh, across the country. Um, we have another vac vac vaccine with J&J, and um, restrictions are loosening. The Sixers and Flyers are going to have fans at the Wells Fargo Center now. Um, it, it seems, for all intents and purposes, that college basketball has survived the storm. Um, it got pretty dark at times in December and January for a lot of programs, including Villanova. Um, but they've made it. It, it. You know, there will be an NCAA tournament this year. I think they've made a great decision to have it. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. After making two of 27 from behind the three-point line at Hinkle, I don't know if I want our Wildcats playing in Hinkle, but I think a tremendous decision to host the tournament in Indiana. Um, you know, a place that many people just think of as the heart and soul of basketball in America. Um, and I think it's great to have a bubble there. And I just uh, I want to commend um, really the NCAA and all the programs and all the conferences for getting through this basketball season. And it looks like we will have a finish and we will have a champion this year. All right, I, I can take the next shout out. It was uh, admittedly extremely similar to what Tom shouted out there, but uh, I'll roll with it anyway at this point. I wanted to shout out the month of March. I mean, we're here. It feels like the first March in two years, essentially. No NCAA tournament last year. I, you know, I, I think as, as shallow as it may be for, for people like us, I think that may have been one of the most immediately disappointing things before realizing how grave the situation actually was last year and to see like we talked about um you know Creighton and St. John's getting pulled off the floor halfway through the Big East tournament and told that we wouldn't resume and then uh you know other conferences following suit and not getting to the NCAA tournament was was just immediately uh extremely disappointing and you know, almost immediately started thinking about next year and, and not wanting to wait to get to this point. So just really excited that we ultimately did get to this point. We made it through uh, a couple of months of basketball, you know, all indoor events, which I thought would be difficult uh, as opposed to football, which made it through obviously all outdoors. So uh, almost a little surprised that we're here at this moment. And, and like Tom said, things are starting to open up vaccine rollouts are starting to pick up steam. Uh, we have the J&J vaccine available uh, and, uh, you know, we're here. It's, it's finally March and, uh, you know, John Rothstein may be the happiest man uh, on the face of the planet right now. This is March and this is only temporary and, and it looks like it's going away soon. So shout out to the month of March. We sleep in May. We sleep right. in May. Stay positive, test negative. The John Rothsteinisms go on and on. Bring your nitroglycerin pills. But John Rothstein is not my shout out here tonight. In fact, my shout out is to ask everyone here, are you ready for some football? 
Villanova football is back, baby. Don't let them tell you any differently. A six-game regular season schedule starting in the CIA, and it starts this weekend. So, yes, this is March, and it's FCS football time. To be honest with you, I'm thrilled. Most falls, you guys know I love Villanova football. Kevin and I, we, we took the trip down in 2009 to Chattanooga, Tennessee, hoping for another deep playoff run at some point in the near future. Mark Ferrante doing a great job revitalizing the program after a really good stamp was left by Andy Talley. But it feels like in the fall sometimes it's so difficult. You, know, you, have, you guys know we do our Nittany Lions Sports Report talk show. Try to go to as many of those games as possible. Of course, I'm calling eight to nine high school regular season football games each year. And it just gets tough at times to go to as many Villanova games as I'd like. Not that that's on the table right now, but it has somewhat of your undivided attention this year. Of course, basketball, college basketball. But, it, you know, it, this feels like an interesting time frame. I know it's certainly going back to the fall and the future, but I love the concept of a spring football FCS schedule, and I'm very excited about Villanova football. So tune into the Cats this coming weekend and over the next two months. Excited for it. I agree, Bob. I think it's a great thing for the sport to get a little bit more notoriety. And, and for fans like us, we have something to watch other than, you know, the AAF and XFL in previous years. Now we got some real college football to watch in the spring and, and to, to watch our Villanova Wildcats. So I, uh, that's a good shout out. I'm, I'm really excited for it as well. Boys, great show here tonight. I enjoyed the time. K-Mac, from afar, thank you for your great trivia questions. Tom Trainer, huge week, baby. Four points for you. Cut the deficit uh, by one. I had three. Kevin Long, going to need a couple strong weeks down the stretch here. It's all right. It's uh, just like Villanova, right? We're going to come charging back here late in March. There you go. I love it. Well, hey, guys, thanks for the time. To the listeners, thanks for being with us and the viewers, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. We'll catch you next week. And, yeah, next time we talk to you, we're, we're going to be talking about the Big East Tournament. And shortly after that, the NCAA Tournament. It is time, folks. Talk to you all soon.